0: I consider it an affront to my family that you haven't heard about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, okay let me let me just lay this out for you. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer and and get this, okay. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money, moolah, from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. (laughs) (laughs) Open loops. Do
1: Open loops. Open loops. Open, looops. Open,
0: looops. Open loops. Open loops. <laughs> Open Loops. You must listen to The Open Loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit.
1: (laughs) Open Loops.
0: Craving some intellectual stimulation? Want to go on a head trip, but you've got no destination? Well, you've come to the right place. My name is Greg Bornstein, I'm your host, I'm your curator of experience, and most importantly, I am the chief looper here at Open Loops, Conversations That Bend. It's a theme park for the intellect, the imagination, intellectual escapists, sapiosexuals, the shamelessly fringe curious. You're all welcome here. Let's go off on a distant journey to a place where things are definitely not natural. They're entirely supernatural, but not in waking everyday reality. Now, unless you're going with that whole like Alan Moore, the guy who wrote Watchmen and very prolific comic graphic artist, uh, who's also a real life magician. He's all about how words are magic, spells, and and you know, fiction is just as powerful as real life and it's magic manifested, da la. Uh yeah, that's that's a nice kind of spin. On magic, but for the sake of this episode, we're going to separate fiction as fiction. Yes, later on, the next couple of episodes, I, I interview people who actually do see entities that some would describe as unearthly, supernatural, on the astral plane. People that actually see vampires may actually be vampires. We're going there. But on this special episode, we have a writer who writes about this stuff and really has not experienced any paranormal phenomena whatsoever. But I was curious about delving into the mindscape of Todd Sullivan, my guest, because he does view the world from a different perspective. The idea of the outwardly quiet person with the vibrantly visual, violent, uh, perhaps even suggestive inner landscape always intrigues me because when you hypnotize someone, you know that there's so much more there than what necessarily comes out on the surface. And for Todd, who... Doesn't do a lot of podcasts or hadn't at that time. Hadn't really talked too much about his work. I'd, I'd read a few interviews and whatnot. I I wanted to get in his brain a little bit. Did I succeed? Well, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I enjoyed the conversation. You know, I... I, I <laughs> You'll see what happens in the interview. At one point, I questioned the entire thing because I'm like, am I asking too many questions? And then I asked him about that. And there's kind of that byplay. Uh, he he insists he had a good time. Uh, you'll see. I I enjoy talking to Todd. I love seeing the origins of this stuff. And clearly, if you are able to envision it and write it down in a way that's compelling, but also just keeps you engaged as the writer, surely somebody else will be. And the fact that we all connect to these stories means there's something that's a part of us that makes them real. So, we'll, we'll go away from reality for a second. We'll go away from ghost hunters and ufologists. And we're going to go entirely into the realm of one of my favorite genres, horror fiction. With writer, creator, artist, all sorts of different labels you can give them. Todd Sullivan. If you enjoy this show, please do like, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts. Definitely very helpful. And now, without further ado, vampires. <laughs> So today I have Todd Sullivan, a writer, a martial arts practitioner, a teacher of English as a second language, uh, a man that, well, you do a lot of things, Todd. Uh, You know, honestly, I'm very curious because, you know, as I was reading over some of the work that you do, um, you know, well, first of all, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: Cool, cool. Um, I was curious because, you know what, you wanted to talk about, you, you said, hey, I'd love to be in the podcast and I'd love to talk about what I practice. So tell me this, beyond being a writer, beyond being a teacher and doing like uh, martial arts and whatnot, what else do you practice?
1: Uh, I, beyond being a writer and beyond being a teacher, I guess I practice... Uh, Pay attention to what's going on around me. I mean, that's very important for being a writer. So I'm aware of the cultural situations that I'm in. I try to learn as much as possible. That's why I travel around the world. I uh, lived in Korea for 10 years, and I got to know Korea quite well. I'm here in Taiwan, and I'm learning uh, the culture here in Taiwan. I've studied Mandarin, which is the main language here. Uh, I work in a Taiwanese school, so I'm around Chinese people all day, every day. So I guess I practice trying to get to know as much as possible. Just the acquiring as much experience and knowledge as I possibly can.
0: Yeah, how'd you end up over there? I mean I'm kind of curious, you know, it seems like you've landed in a particular section of the world. I, I wonder if uh you know, were you did did you or where are you from originally? Are you from America, the United States or
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana.
0: Oh, wow. Do you, well, that that's already opens up a lot of uh, questions in my head about doing horror and, and the connection between that upbringing and, like, wanting to explore more supernatural paranormal realms. Um, but beyond that, I mean, how'd you, how'd you end up in, like, Taiwan?
1: So what happened was that during my MFA program in New York, I randomly did a winter semester in Japan. It was, like, three weeks long. -hmm. And when I was in Japan, I was in Tokyo and I really loved it. Like, it was, I don't know if many of you audience have been to Japan or Tokyo before, but it's really a fantastic uh, city, really interesting.
0: It's the one place in the world I want to go, man, that is like, that is top of the list. Japan is at the top.
1: I mean, definitely, yeah, definitely suggest you go there. It's really a great experience. And, you know, from the moment you get off the plane, it's just, it's my first experience in Asia also, but it's just such a really, Cool, interesting, quite different place from America, and so I was in Tokyo for three weeks. I was studying uh, Japanese authors and Japanese theater. And I knew I wanted to come back, uh, and the easiest way, really, to come back to this part of the world is to teach English. But the the issue is that Japan doesn't hire a lot of English teachers. They actually are not very big on important culture in mm-hmm. Japan. And so it's not really easy to get a job in Japan. I mean, you could go there and visit, but getting a job there is not easy. But uh, when I came, when I was looking for work 11 years ago, Korea was really hiring a lot of people, like really sucking in all the English teachers from Western countries. So I ended up in Korea and I was there for 11 years, uh, 10 years. And then after Korea, I was looking for a new country to go to. And again, I just thought, sitting out, my resume at different places, and I saw a decent job opportunity here in Taiwan. So I ended up in Taiwan, Taipei, Taiwan. And that's how I got here.
0: Wow, wow. So I, I mean, do you, do you plan on, is there more of the world to explore in your mind that you haven't yet, or? There is, you
1: know, when I went to Korea, I was 31, I'm 42 now, and I did not notice that it's not, it wasn't as uh, acclimated to Taiwan as it was to Korea. Like mm-hmm. I feel the difference of 11 years, honestly. But yeah, I mean, after oh, and also COVID-19. So my plan was to go to a different country in maybe another year, less than a year. Right. But because of COVID-19, uh, my plans, like everyone else in the world, has changed. So for now, I can't really answer the question. But if things calm down uh, in the next 12 months, I probably will end up going somewhere else.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, yeah, let's go back. I mean, I'm sort of curious. Do you think that, uh, I I also haven't spent a lot of time in New Orleans, but I want to. um, I, I recently had a friend that went there and she was like, you know, she's a little more scientifically minded, but... She was still telling me that she felt that at certain moments when she was going to certain places, uh, she felt that there was sort of dark energies around. Um, obviously, it's got this sort of idea and culture. New Orleans is voodoo and they're witches and stuff like that. I mean, did any of that stuff impact you as a kid or growing up that like sort of rubbed off in your creation of horror?
1: Yeah, I definitely did. You know, I, again, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. And, you know, one of the main attractions of New Orleans are the above ground graveyards. Mm. Uh, And people don't know, in most of the rest of America, you bury bodies by six feet deep. Uh, But in New Orleans, because we're below sea level, you can't because you hit water. So our graves are actually above ground. And there's all all these interesting, very gothic. uh, you know, mausoleums and cemeteries and all these, you know, just constant reminder of death. So, this is a constant, uh, something you're constantly dealing with when you live in New Orleans. You can't really avoid the fact that one day you will die and like death kind of surrounds you. But New Orleans also has a very big Catholic population, um, it's very bad population. There's voodoo. I mean, people hang garlic on windows to uh, make uh, evil spirits go away. Uh, there's the French choirs. so And then, of course, there's also Anne Rice, who did interview the vampire. Yes. The vampire. So there's a rich culture of spiritualism and uh, kind of darker gothic elements in New Orleans, plus horror. Um, I don't know, again, if your audience are aware of the movie um, Angel Heart that um, Rob De Niro was in. Right, So, there's like right. A, so yeah, there's just like this uh, tradition of kind of horror that pervades new orleans
0: did you ever have anything that you would classify as a paranormal experience
1: i don't i wouldn't say that no i mean in paranormal experience like my publisher uh nightmare press that's what he does that's what they do they do paranormal books mostly and Mm -hmm. they actually carry they go around america and characterize um paranormal experiences different places and so like I've talked to him I've listened to him uh, many times. I don't think I've had anything similar to that. No, uh, I don't think so.
0: Really? So you've never, I mean, I imagine there are psychics and, uh, you know, some all that kind of stuff going on, depending on, you know, some are more real than others. Uh, did, did anyone in your family ever, like, meet with someone practicing spiritualism or voodoo and run to you and say, like, Todd, this stuff is real. I'm telling you, it's scary. Like, did you have any of that growing up?
1: Uh, growing up, no, you know, believe it or not, my childhood was very quite ordinary and normal. Uh, so not really. I mean, I think I, I read a lot of different kind of things. Um, I have a very uh, strong imagination. I listen a lot. But personally, I think my, my family is just kind of, I guess, more not quite that interesting, I suppose.
0: No, I mean, look, I, I I'm sure it, it definitely, well, that if they, it wasn't going on outside your head, it's definitely something that was going on inside of it. Um, I mean, do you think that when you were, grow- were you, were you a quiet kid? Like, did anybody know that you had this level of imagination growing up?
1: I was definitely a quiet kid. Uh, I spent a lot of time by myself. Uh, you know, honestly, I was born with a speech impediment, so For a long time, I didn't really speak much at all as a child. And then I did many years of speech therapy. And as a result, I spent a lot of time reading. I spent a lot of time in silence. And then I spent a lot of time writing. So yeah, I mean, definitely a quiet kid was what I was.
0: Interesting. Yeah, you know, I kind of think whenever, uh, I think some Stephen Colbert or someone made a joke about that. Stephen King is clearly, everything that he's put out is just like a clear, statement that my childhood sucked Um, <laughs> I wonder if you know I, now the thing is the stuff you're writing about I mean I'm talking you know you have the Windshine Chronicles which is a dark fantasy you have this vampire series Um, that is I mean it looks very interesting the vampire series of extreme horror Um, and you know I know I've read that you take a lot of the characters that you've encountered across the world and in your life and sort of transform them into perhaps people with more fantastical journeys than you did. Uh, what parts of you, Todd, show up in the writing, you think?
1: I think, uh, I mean, the foundation of all the writing is the person who writes it. So I am the the first level, I suppose. And then the second level are the people and the events that uh, I see and experience in life. And then the third level is my imagination and also you know just writing type stuff like plot characterization uh things like this so it's like a multi-level uh muscle level to my writing but i am the first level i mean it all comes it all comes of course for me so i'm the yeah, the I guess the alpha and the writing itself.
0: Right. I mean, are there any sort of particular themes that, I mean, like I'm reading, you know, if we look at the description of Butchers, which uh, came out this past November, Vampire series of extreme horror, Butchers, available on Amazon. It says, kidnapped, turned, and locked away in a concrete basement. High school student, say me, is taught the ways of the damned. I mean, were you ever locked away in a concrete basement? Were you ever? Did you ever feel like you were in that kind of position in high school? Like, are there any themes of that from your life that went directly into your writing? If people know you well enough,
1: the interesting thing about that is that Butcheress comes from a uh, a novel that I sold to a publisher that eventually went bankrupt, and so the initial novel Natural Police uh, had slightly different characters in it, and then I changed them over time. Huh. So the the first uh, iteration of saying was actually called Jong Kyung and she was actually older, she was a university student. Mm-hmm. But then as I started writing as I kind of broke the novel apart and started putting it back together because I wanted it to last for quite some time. So there's gonna be some growth to all the characters. It's gonna be like an ongoing novella series, whereas before it was just a novel.
0: Right. And so
1: I started her off a bit younger and then she's gonna well I mean she's a vampire, so they don't really age, but she's gonna kinda right. grow uh, mentally and emotionally as the novella series goes on from book to book. So it was really, uh, that's really kind of um, like a an artistic choice to make her uh, like a, a graduating high school student. So she's really about 17, 18 years old. It was kind of like an artistic choice more than anything. Yeah, it's like but a I mean, coming of
0: age story, a classic coming of age kind of story.
1: Right, yeah, but spray out over a series. So it's right. like a yeah, coming of age story, spray out over, you know, five ten however many books i end up writing but you know i have read a lot i've read a lot of different books and i read the news a lot so i think again all this kind of stuff influences where i write and how i write and maybe they're locked in the basement unfortunately there are stories like that in the news yeah um, you know a perfect example of this is that i wrote a, a lycanthrope story which is a story where it were tigers who transform into humans, huh. and, and it took place in, in Korea. And the way the tigers transform into humans, it's kind of a it's kind of a grotesque way. But they have to kind of feed upon a human's face, and then they become a human themselves. And that comes directly from a news story. There was this really weird situation in America where this mother and father took their university uh, university. Uh, a son out to a restaurant and they were just sitting there eating and then the university the son gets really upset he leaves he goes back home and he attacks his neighbors and he actually chews off their face it literally comes from that story so yeah i mean i just take things that i read and i kind of transform it in order to be part of the of where i'm writing but yeah i mean i read a lot so there's a lot of very grotesque things that happen in life
0: yeah yeah i mean i was gonna ask about uh you know your your sort of other horror influences i mean i one of the interviews you we were talking about your uh one of your siblings had stephen king i mean did you ever i definitely went through a phase i went through a phase in college where i devoured stephen king's stuff but it opened me up to like a lot of these very, very niche, very small, and very frankly disturbing horror writers that were kind of popular like in the early 80s. I don't know if you're familiar with like the splatterpunk movement, which was deliberately just like raw, just almost, oh man, over eroticized and bloody violent horror. For a period of time, and I just was like, "Whoa!" I'm fascinated by the idea that a writer can make me feel a certain way. Like, like the the point. I think what's interesting about horror, and I actually am curious about this with you. Um, to me, horror reminded me a lot of comedy. I've heard them compared before, but I intuitively understood because in comedy, you are deliberately trying to get the laugh. Good horror, in my book and Stephen King I've heard talk about this you are actually trying to go for a reaction Uh, you're trying to get like a an unconscious reaction from somebody that is and leaving their waking life trance and going into yours do you think about horror in that way at all like do you ever think about deliberately have concocting sentences so that they scare a reader
1: I do try to create Uh, scenes that have a jarring effect on the rear. This is true. Uh, You know, horror, I do think horror is trying to create a reaction, a very strong, visceral reaction in people. But Mm. I also think that it's a bit of a a cautionary. It's like a way of, because you know, you can try to explain something to people in a rational way, and it could go in one area and out the other. But I mean, if you scare them, I think they may end up following or listening a lot more closely. So yeah. I do think horror is a, is a way of uh cautioning people against certain things or, you know, just warning them that this could be the consequence. This consequence could be quite terrible. So you might not want to do it. So, yeah, I, mean, I think it's to react, but I think it's also a way of cautioning people.
0: That's interesting. Do you think that people – uh, like you, your friends and, and people in your life, do they know that this, <laughs> if they didn't know that you were a writer, would they know that you have all these weird ideas in your head?
1: No, uh, I don't think, I think unless I tell people, they would probably not guess I was a writer at all, actually. Um, and they would probably never guess that I do horror writing. But, you know, just... Uh, on this, at the same time, I do different kinds of writing. So I do horror writing, I do fantasy writing, I do science fiction, and I also do children's literature and YA literature. It's just that the horror writing and the fantasy writing is what has actually come up first and had the most amount of success. So I kind of do like a wide spectrum of writing. But no, people would not guess that I'm a horror I do horror also. It would it probably surprise them, honestly
0: have you ever slipped up like like you're eating dinner with someone and you start talking about like oh yeah there's a there's a finger in that food that's rotting and it's turning green and uh, like do you ever accidentally like you know or in in a much more poetically stated way but have you ever said anything and people are like todd what like anything like that ever happened actually i do much
1: less talking than what i'm doing right now generally i'm a listener and i'm I'm a observer uh so If I'm at dinner with a group of people, generally they're talking around me. I'm actually just kind of there on the periphery, listening to what they're saying and, you know, thinking about the way they say something, thinking about how this could become a scene, a story. I mean, I do see the world through kind of a writer's eyes, and so everything to me is, you know, plot, characterization, dialogue. That's basically how I kind of break down things that happen around me. So no, honestly not. I'm probably um, not talking very much person at any table.
0: Wow, I'm curious why you uh, what what uh, why you're doing the podcast circuit. Is there something that uh, is it is it is it almost like an exercise for you and like opening up when when you go on someone's podcast and you talk about your work? Because it almost seems like you don't often do it.
1: No, I actually do. This is probably my. I've done quite a few now, and I did my first one maybe as soon as Butchers came out. I did a podcast. It was my first one. I'd never done it before, but I find it pretty interesting because this is more concentrated conversation, I feel. Yeah. But it it's a promotionary thing. You know, uh, a very long time ago, like 20 years ago, I actually self-published a book, uh, a collection of short stories, poems, and novella called One Hour. And that actually was also hard. But it was, um, it was a bit kind of different part because I was 20, 28 years old at the time. So it was actually a bit different. And when I self-published this book, I promoted it for a year. And what I did was I drove throughout uh, Southeast America. So I drove to like Texas. I was living in Atlanta at the time. So I drove Mm -hmm. to Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Florida. I drove all over and I would have these book signings and I would stop at different places with my books and I would, you know, do a meet and greet at the uh, book signings I set up with. So it was always me interacting with the public, and sometimes on weekend I would end up interacting with, you know, several hundred people, depending on how crowded the venue was. And so, you know, when you promote yourself, you have to communicate with people. You have to talk. You have to let people know who you are, because the world's very crowded, and you have to make your voice heard, make people realize who you are. So I mean, this is just part of the job. I think this is a part of being a writer, or being an artist in general.
0: Do you feel okay doing it? Like, do you secretly hate this right now?
1: No, I don't. I mean, I have another one scheduled later on this week. I do this all the time. Uh, I do this all the time now. And this oh, is the only way. True. I mean, I live in Taipei, Taiwan. I mean, I can't really uh, promote myself in America. But even if right. I wasn't in America COVID-19, people are not doing book science right now.
0: Yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is amazing that, uh, you know, I, I was reading one of your, uh, it looks like it was a recent blog post, uh, it must have had you on at his guest blog, and you were talking about the idea of you see the world, like like the matrix idea being there, but it's not numbers, it's words. And I really, I mean, already like, okay, great, Todd, you, you've proved it. You're a good writer. Like, great, good work. But second, I'm like, huh, that's an interesting idea that, I mean, I, when people speak, I see words, but it almost is like when you live, when you breathe, when you're looking at people, you're seeing the, the imagination explored on the written paper. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting framework. I mean, can you like, even, you know, in this past week, have you sat somewhere and been like, oh, yeah, this would be a great book. Like, does that just happen to you all the time? How does inspiration come up for you?
1: It does come from what I see around me. I wouldn't think a great book, but I would think a great scene. I would think usually this would be a great scene, uh, not so much a book. But, yeah, I mean, I, I mean honestly, I do, you know, I do see things through the rise of a, of, a, of a writer. I mean, I've been doing it for so long now. And so that's how I kind of how I perceive, you know, the world and people themselves as, uh, as characters. And as I see plots and subplots and narrative and things like this. But I've just been doing this for I've been involved in writing and writing craft for so long that it's just how it has turned out.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and look, I mean, into your earlier point that you don't just write horror, um, you know, I mean, I can see how some people would think that a genre like that would be a trap um, in the same way that, you know, a comedic, again, not to harp on it, but, uh, you know, if you're a comedian and you're, you're, that's how people primarily know you, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for you. In, in at least to to have the public be like, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, he's trying to now be a serious actor. Um, do you sort of think that? I mean, how conscious are you of like what it what happens if the books that get the most success are horror for the rest of career your career? Like, are you going to be upset? that you weren't able to do another genre. Like what it, i mean, have you thought about that? Does it does it plague you at night or would you be okay with having a career where you still created your work but people still responded the most to the horror?
1: I think that, you know, despite the fact that due through different genres, it's always a bit darker. Like even the children's literature that I did, um, it was more, I guess, akin to what's his name? Raw doll? Uh, yeah,
0: roll doll. Yeah, yeah
1: like a lot of people don't realize like very like, dark f- oh, yeah it is <laughs> yeah you know the <laughs> witches are literally eating kids so the giants this is a very common theme of raw dog uh, yes a pawn of, of children and one wonders if he actually liked children concern how you trade them it's fiction but yeah so even my children's literature uh go is a bit on the darker side so i i do think that I don't know if I would become known as a horror writer, but I probably would become known as a writer who makes things a bit, uh, a bit more dark, I suppose, than not dark. I guess that's the way to put it.
0: Interesting. Uh, Out of curiosity, did you, have you resolved the debate? I know you went through an internal (laughs) debate about, are you an artist? Are you a writer? Are you an author? Uh, What are you right now?
1: Uh, at this moment, I'm probably more of a, an artist and a, and a writer. You know, I, I just think that author, that's just such a, like when I grew up in the 80s, it's just such a, a big word that I don't really like to use it quite so often or quite so freely. Um, so I wouldn't say author. Uh, plus, I also think my personal belief is just only my personal belief. I think that that's something that people, other people have to eventually call you. I'm not exactly sure about, you know, calling yourself an author. But, you know, if people want to, that's totally cool. I mean, I have no problem with the people doing it. But for me, it's probably authors because my lifestyle, like my lifestyle is one of the artists, I believe. And also writer because it's what I do. I'm always writing. So artists and writer, but not so much author, though. No.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Uh, does Has your family read your work?
1: They have. Uh, they have read well, let us rephrase that. My my mom has read most of my work. She's the reader in the family. And then I have siblings who don't read quite so much, but they've read a couple of things here and there. Um, so they have read uh, my work, yes.
0: I wonder if they knew that all this stuff was in your head growing up, or were they surprised at anything they've read?
1: I mean, I've been writing for a very long time. Like, even back one hour, like, the the collection of short story, poems, and novella. Um, it was it was of a similar nature, but yeah, it was written by someone who was 20 years old. So I mean, it's been like that was 22 years ago. So yeah, they they were well aware of what I write about.
0: That's very cool. Very cool. Well, good. I'm glad that you haven't had to like, you know, tell your family and sit them down and have this long conversation about, Hey guys, I'm going to start putting stuff out to the world. And It's a little different than what you might've been used to Todd growing up. But I mean, that's awesome that you, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, you went to school for, it. you've been doing it for so long. Um, do you, do you like horror movies at all? Do you like fantasy movies? Does the genre and films interest you at all? Or is it, it just books
1: well this is a funny thing i don't really watch much horror and i honestly i don't really read much horror either because the the visceral nature of the scenes particularly horror movies I, I think is a bit uh overwhelming for me i do see things quite clearly in my head and i'm very empathetic so i'm really there there in the scene uh so i try not to do it quite too often i might have of course but not too often I mean, I think the genre that I probably read most uh, for pleasure is fantasy and mm. then science. I started reading more science fiction in university. But I think fantasy was always my go-to, my go-to genre, honestly, throughout high school. And even now, um, I, I read more probably... No, no it's like half
0: and half. real life science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. Do you say that when you're writing, um, do you kind of like like what is the Todd that people would see? Like I, I've heard before that uh and again I I'm going to harp back. It seems to be a common theme for my podcast, but I can't escape it. Uh, You know, there were some hypnotists that were, uh, I I read something, I, I, I have a hypnotherapy background, and hypnotist background, and they were talking about Aldous Huxley. And when Aldous Huxley would write, apparently he'd actually go into like a concentrated, highly focused trance state where it was like you you couldn't really even shake him out of it. It was like you would just see him kind of go into another world. His focus would go straight towards one, maybe the pen or the paper. And it would almost be like he was like catatonic to everything around him. Uh, do, are, are you, <laughs> do you have any writing rituals? Like if people saw you in full creative mode, like does everybody have to be in the room and you just have to focus? Like what what is Todd writing like?
1: Well, I wake up in the morning, I get coffee, and I write one single unique page a day. And then for the rest of the day, I revise. Uh, So that's basically my my writing process, a single page in the morning. And then I revise revise the story throughout the day. Does it look pretty normal?
0: Yeah. Does it look pretty normal? Or would it be like, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like, you know, would people think you could be working on a spreadsheet at a Starbucks? Or uh, does it... Are you in a different place in your head?
1: No, I, I believe it probably looks pretty normal. I'm just sipping coffee and writing. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure. Uh, and I write on paper. Like, I write with pencil paper first, like, uh, everything first. So, yeah, it probably looks like I'm, you know, well, it looks like I'm writing. But it doesn't look like I'm doing anything in particular. No, so it, it looks fairly normal.
0: Do you have nightmares?
1: I do. I've had nightmares, but it's not something that I, I frequently have, no. Um, you know, this country that I live in, I, I had I didn't sleep very well last night. This country I live in, Taipei, Taiwan, it's a nice country. Anyone can come and visit it. I, I definitely recommend it. But in the summer, there's a lot of bugs. And, like, I have trouble sleeping because there's just so many bugs and so many roaches and spires. And so that mm. kind of kept me up last night. But for the most part, <laughs> that's not a nightmare. That's just, like, a, a, a condition of living in this place. But, yeah, for the most part, no, I don't –
0: I sleep well. I don't have – Todd, you – Todd, like, I'm so interested in the fact that, like, you are doing – you are writing things that are from, like, a totally different mind space than most people occupy in waking reality, and yet, like, you seem to – be pretty normal (laughs) like you're like oh i mean a normal quote unquote whatever that means but like you you know people would think you're writing you don't have nightmares never had a paranormal experience you're a traveler you look at people i mean you've got the artist perspective which is unique but um there's nothing like like you know you're not doing seances at night and you don't have voodoo dolls at least as far as i know um do you think that (laughs) Am I I the one person that's ever asked you about this? Like, I'm sure some people must be like, dude, what is your life? Where does the vampire series of extreme horror come from?
1: You know, the interesting thing is that, I I mean, when I say I spent a lot of time in silence as a child, I really did. Like, I really spoke very little throughout um, kindergarten elementary, middle and high school, like extremely little. And then living here in foreign countries where it's not my native uh, tongue. I actually speak a little Korean now, but I spend a lot of time in silence over the last 10, 11 years, like more than you can probably possibly imagine. So, you know, I, I have a lot of time to think and you compartmentalize, you know, there's just different parts to yourself that you explore. And since I spend so much time in silence, then, you know, I have a lot of time to just, you know, ruminate upon different things I suppose most people would not. And perhaps that's where you know, the horror comes in and then, you know, the fantasy and the children's literature and stuff like that, I compartmentalize, I think, fairly well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you – well, let's go into a little bit of the content of uh, the book. I When anybody ever tells me that they're writing a book about a secret society and you're combining the supernatural – and it's vampires, uh, my interest peaks up. I mean, what exactly, so you, the, there's a, an allegiance to a secret vampire society. Um, you know, I mean, where did that idea even come from, a secret organization of vampires?
1: Well, I mean, that, I mean, to be honest, that's actually somewhat not as original as all that. I mean, because secret uh, society of vampires is kind of, has been done before. I think where I did it differently is that I started writing this after I went to Korea. And Korea has a, they do Confucius, Confucianism, which is very hierarchical. So there's someone who's at the top who kind of leads everyone else. And then everyone else just kind of follows and It's a very rigid type of society. So I think that's where I do it differently. I, I kind of combine that Confucius ideology to kind of the somewhat common uh secret secret vampire society and then it kind of merging together. So that's where the idea actually came from. It came from living in Korea, working in Korea with Koreans.
0: Wow. Do you uh speak more I, I love Confucianism. Uh can you speak a little more about, you know, the way that that plays out. Like what is what is your understanding of uh the way that sort of line of thinking uh is manifests now in Korea? Like do people still really practice that seriously?
1: They do. And I won't speak too much about it because I don't want to seem like I'm an expert and then someone who's listening to me later on. But what I will say, I think the best is the age thing. So if we were to meet for the first time, what we would do is as we were at each other ages. So if I was older than you, you would then have to treat me in a different way, in, in a way that as if I'm more superior to you or higher level than you, high status to you. And I would treat you as if you were like a little brother or someone who is kind of lower status. Uh, and then the only way we can actually treat each other as friends is if we're the exact same age. And so in Korea, there's a word that you use for someone who's older. There's a word that you use for someone who's younger. There's a word that you use for someone who's your exact same age. And this is actually very important. Uh, you know, trying to go outside this system seems very rude and just very weird, actually. And so that's what I mean by kind of a very strict way of thinking about it. Because in America, we just don't do that. I mean, if you're, A, we didn't ask each other ages when we first started our conversation. I didn't right. change the way I speak depending on, I'm sorry.
0: No, no, right. now I was going to say, right, we didn't. We, we just went right into it.
1: Right. And so, and there's like a grammar thing too. So if I am older than you, then I would speak, then you would speak to me with a different kind of grammar and I speak to you. Uh, but then we're the same age and we speak a, a different kind of grammar, then we would speak to someone who's older or younger. And so it's just a very, a very strict way of doing like,
0: uh, social settings. Huh. Wow. I'm very intrigued by the way this plays out in, uh, vampire society. Uh, what would you say is like the difference between, you know, a Western secret vampire society and an Eastern one? Is there a, I mean, the status, I think status, no matter what, if you think of secret societies, at least in like, you know, American colleges, there's always sort of the grand leader, and then people respect them, and you know they're just their hierarchical structures. I mean, uh, is that you know is would it be different? Would it really feel different to be in a, a a vampire society in Korea versus America?
1: I think it'd be different to be in a vampire society in my novellas versus one in fiction written in America. Uh, my vampires are significantly uh, more mean they, you know, there's a lot of torture that goes on when you step out of line. And this is, I mean, that kind of reflects, uh, I feel like, society here. I mean, it's very, uh, being different in this part of the world isn't something that's commonly done. Uh, you mm. kind of realize if you are, and it's, it's very tough. So most people kind of step in line, stay in line. And there's, of course, there's good and bad as with everything else, but in my books versus I think of just a purely Western vampire book. Yeah, I mean when they step out of line, they are tortured and it's very bad for them. And it's torture for a very long time. But oh my really gosh,
0: seen. what? What kind of torture are these <laughs> like, vampires doing? I don't uh, want to give away your book. Uh, I don't want it without giving away everything, guys, check <laughs> it out. Uh the vampire series of extreme horror by Todd Sullivan on Amazon. Like don't you know definitely support this man. Uh but I mean like how bad are we talking here?
1: It's, you know, if you read the reviews, if you read the reviews, uh, you get a sense of it. I mean, can I just put it that way? Like, just read the reviews and you get a sense of perhaps the visceral nature of the books themselves. But definitely go and get it. I mean, if you really, you go and read it and then you can figure out for yourself the level of torture.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, Vampire series of extreme. So there are going to be three. You've had two out so far. The last, the second one came out in May.
1: It's going to be ongoing. There's going to be more than three. But... The third one is gonna be longer than the two. Like the uh, the third one will probably be almost twice the length of the of the first two. Uh, so but they're gonna get longer as they go along. But it's gonna be an ongoing series. There's no real, there's no real end to it.
0: Oh, interesting. Do you do you have like an ending in mind?
1: Well, you know, because I wrote this as a novel before. Uh, I already know, like, it's already played up pretty well. I know where it's going. So, yeah, I do have an ending in mind. Yes, I do. I have an ending in mind, yes.
0: Oh, interesting. Interesting. Very cool. Um, okay, so, you know, we've we talked a little bit about vampire secret societies. We've talked a little bit about vampire torture. Um, I mean, do... <laughs> who would you recommend not reading your book? Like, should they refer to the reviews again? Like, if someone is uh scared of blood probably should have read the book i mean uh <laughs> you know i who who shouldn't who should we warn out there mm,
1: i don't know i mean it's it's extreme hard so if you're if you're not interesting part this is not the book for you i mean yeah i mean just depends on what your tastes are because the book is it's multi I mean there's a lot going on in it there's a lot of um uh kind of korean culture in it that's kind of that people may find interesting There's a, you know, this this story is about working a bad job. And that's the general idea of butchers. Like, you have a very, very bad job and it lasts forever. And that's a universal thing for many people. Many people have jobs they don't particularly enjoy. uh, And they feel it's just torturous going in every day.
0: Did you have that?
1: I mean, I've had bad jobs, yes. (laughs) Like, was
0: there, yeah, I'm wondering if there was a period in your life where you just thought you would never be able to, you know, pursue your dreams.
1: Yes, I mean, I think that's very common too. I mean, many people, um, I I feel like I've been very lucky, or let's say very determined. I'll put it that way, very determined because, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books and I wanted to live around the world. And I'm actually doing exactly that. But it took a lot of determination, just single mindedness, in order to get to this point. So, yeah, I guess I, I did achieve what I wanted to achieve.
0: What would you say to someone out there that wanted to follow your path? In that way, like I, I definitely am someone that has fantasized about the idea of living, uh, what they call the digital nomadic lifestyle. Um, now, usually that applies to like writing blogs and selling drop shipping things and stuff like that. Um, but, but I'm curious, you know, some people might be afraid to take that jump. I mean, how would you even get to that single mindedness where you're like, I can do this and make it my life?
1: Maybe. I say- this uh, trait that I have. Um, Like, I mean, your your viewers, again, can't see this, but I have a tattoo of a rose on my hand. Actually, if you look at the pictures that I have that are taken of me online, you'll see it. And this was a, I decided to get this tattoo uh, when I was in high school. And it was a way of reminding myself, no matter what I did as I went through life, that my goal was to be a writer. Like, that was the idea behind it. It's a constant reminder. And I think that if you really want to achieve something that's quite significant, but kind of quite difficult to actually achieve, you just have to have a very single-minded, determined way, because it's just not easy. There's so many things that kind of come into your way as life goes on, it's easy to lose that path and you know, end up being somewhere you didn't really want to be. So just being single-minded and determined in my, is my advice to people.
0: Was there ever a time where you almost could have not gone this way? Like, was there a moment that you had that was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this? Or did you push past that? Did that ever even come up? Like, how, how does that work?
1: No, those moments happen. But, you know, the way I live my life, I, you know, I start cutting off different uh, roles that I could take, like, different outs that I could take. In the end, it's almost as if, you know, you burn the bridges behind you so that you can't really go back. Or you burn mm. the bridges to the side so you can't really go to this way or that way. You only have one way to go. So even when you start to become like, oh, I can't do it or it's too much, you have no other choice. So you just keep going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think you're like a Stephen King type in the sense that, you know, that guy just keeps pinning books every hour, it seems like? Like, do you think you have that much in you that you could have, like, hundreds of books by the end of your career?
1: No, I I could never imagine doing that, honestly. Like, I think that later on, I'll probably end up releasing very little writing uh, very few books, honestly. Like I would still, I always write because I've been doing it for so long. It's like, you know, habit. Uh, but I always write, but I would prefer to, you know, I actually I would prefer to teach. I would prefer to teach writing. I've actually picked up a lot about writing in life. So I would prefer to teach writing. Uh, I do this martial arts, maybe one day teach martial arts. Uh, different things I would prefer to do, but just writing on time, even to like my 60s, 70s, 80s, no, I don't think so.
0: Ah, huh. wow. Um, tell me a little bit about the Windshine Chronicles.
1: So, the Windshine Chronicles is basically about what I was talking about—being single-minded. It's a it's a group of men who go on these quests to become heroes, and the idea behind it was uh, what is needed to become to achieve something significant in life, and to kind of achieve this uh, higher status, I suppose, uh, in life, and so. And the metaphor are these quests, and it takes place in the fancy middle age of Korea.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, I wonder if, like me asking about this, was just uh, fortuitous right after we talked about you being single-minded. I mean, th- there's no way that uh, you know someone deciding to go on the hero's journey of being a writer didn't somewhat inform this. Do you think?
1: No, I think they're connected. They're, they're definitely connected. Um, the, yeah, the idea behind it. But this is like an old thing to me. Again, going back to one hour. Uh, it was about uh, trying to become a writer when I was 20. And that's definitely when you talk about when you start to feel like you can't do it. Definitely, I think when you're 20s, 20, 21, 22, when you're fresh out of high school, into university, thinking about life, thinking about work, uh, jobs like this, uh, things like this, that you start to feel like you cannot do it. And so that was a theme that I wrote about even, uh, you know, 22 years ago. And, you know, uh, Hollow Men, The *Windshine Chronicles kind of picks up upon the same theme in a more mature, different way. But yeah, it kind of follows the same theme about doing everything you can in order to achieve this significant thing. But also, which is actually really important, the people on the way who actually die and don't make it. Because in the end, uh, a lot of people don't make it. I mean, they have uh, not very good outcomes as they try to chase their
0: dream oh that's interesting now uh do you think those people i mean what's the lesson there then like uh some would argue after watching this michael jordan documentary uh, i had people being like wow that guy chased his dream and he was great but he lost a lot of friends and a lot of respect doing it um to me that's a great example of questioning the worth of chasing your dream. I mean, have you figured it out? Like what exactly does go wrong for someone when they become single-minded and focused on that? What can we take away from your exploration of that theme that's uh, actually helpful for making sure we don't go down the wrong path?
1: Well, I mean, part of it is when you start eliminating all other paths because you're so single-minded and then you cannot get off the one you've chosen, but then you're mm. not you kind of burn out. I mean, you run into a day in. and it's you know trying to get out of it becomes almost impossible. So that's that's part of it. I think people who are kind of obsessive about something, are obsessive about something. I mean, you know, they they're, they're not really always the best people to be around. Who just seem to have like a single thought, and they don't really seem to be able to be able to do much else beyond this single thing. So you know, they're kind of anti anti personal. Is that the word?
0: right Uh, right they may not
1: be as good with people they're not really people people persons yeah people people so yeah i mean it's just different things that uh being very single-minded has when it comes to you know your social your social life and just your life in general
0: yeah yeah totally totally what would you say is uh I I was curious about this idea that you said that you believe you are like a, uh, gosh, I forget how you put it. And now I can't find where I was looking at this. (laughs) I just had it on a page uh, about you, like believing that you're just kind of uh, an observer walking around in a fantasy life. Um, You put it much more eloquently. Is, is this life you're walking around a fantasy life in your mind still?
1: Well, again, I mean, I see things as as fiction. So I suppose in that way, yeah. I mean, everything I see, I, I I wonder how I can use it in narrative. So in that way, I suppose I do walk around making things into a a fiction. I suppose.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 Um. So okay. So we have if you're if you don't like extreme horror. Do not read the vampire books. If you do like seeing young men trying to pursue a dream, but potentially being fallible, uh, read the Windshine Chronicles. Uh, What other stuff, I mean, is there... Look, I want the scoop right now before anybody else gets it, Todd. I want to know, what other worlds have you not written yet that are on the horizon?
1: I want to go back to the children's literature uh, and do some novellas with that. Right now, I'm thinking about. There's a guy that I met here who's Nigerian, and, and he was. We're thinking about doing collaboration using Nigerian gods in a, a modern day setting, uh, and so I'm thinking about doing that. How I would make that work? So that's actually, I guess, suppose the newest thing is that whole oh, the Nigerian gods in a modern day setting.
0: Huh. Wow. Does it? Um. What is sort of your belief system at all when it comes to spirituality? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in gods? Do you have any of that?
1: I mean, I, I you know, it's, it's of course it's a complex question, but I definitely believe that there's something else going on. I definitely believe that they are you know, quote unquote, spirits or some type of other things out there that have a direct influence upon uh, you know life here on Earth and things like that. So yeah, I mean, I do believe i don't um you know i'm not a materialist Materialist, like i don't believe that only the material is that is what exists mm. i do believe there is something definitely else going on
0: interesting interesting yeah um look i mean i'm very intrigued by everything you have to offer here we got gore action fantasy uh how dark do you get with the kids books man are these kids like freaking out? <laughs> like what is, how, what is the darkest you get when you write children's stories?
1: Like for example, because uh, this came out maybe three or four years ago, like in one of the stories, it takes place in a kindergarten until the kids are like five years old and they are they know magic, but they're still learning how to use it. And one of the girls creates like um, something to kind of eat one of the other students because she's jealous of her. So that's about as dark as it gets. <laughs>
0: Todd, but, would you read your story to your future child?
1: That's, I mean, you know, I, I'm always reluctant to talk about the Ryan to read because it's much more... Uh, <laughs> no, I love it. It's funny, actually. It's kind, of a, a, it's kind of cute, actually, the way it goes. She's a very fun character. She's, she's selfish. She's selfish and she's jealous. And I think that's kind of a bit darker. Uh, she's always trying to take out her competition But you have to keep in mind, this is like six-year-olds. So, I mean, how much could she really do? And she's really mistaken a lot of times. Like, she has... um she makes rationalizations that are just not correct, but it's always kind of funny. So it's it's much more liar than than I suppose that description gave. <laughs> no, it 70. sounds pretty
0: great to me, man. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, Todd, look, you can. Uh, I I talked about your series. I mean, we've got the windshide Chronicles books. Uh, we have the vampire series of extreme horror uh which the second book came out wow during all this coronavirus past may uh the gray man of smoke and shadows is the second book butchers is the first one uh love the cover by the way as someone that doesn't watch horror uh i don't know if this was like your book publishers that did this but the cover of butchers is so 80s horror to me
1: Yes, I want to thank my publisher, Nightmare Press. That was them. That had nothing to do with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope it doesn't, like, defy your... I think it works. I mean, I, I'm i very intrigued. I love it.
1: No, I love the covers. I love the covers of Butchers. And I love the covers of The Great Man Smoking Shadows. So, I mean, I, I totally... I, I was very, very pleased when I saw the covers. So, no, I love them.
0: Do you think you can judge a book by its cover?
1: I think that the... You could... I think that... Sorry. I do think so because, you know, I've been, I've seen so many books with very, very not good covers. And, you know, I think it reflects the writing inside. I mean, you know, if you go to a restaurant and the restaurant looks poor and really terrible and the setting is really poor and terrible. It kind of says something about the service you're going to end up getting. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be true. You go to a very bad-looking restaurant, it could be fantastic service, fantastic food. Yeah, yeah. So, I I still think that presentation, presentation in general, is important.
0: This is the soundbite I wanted. Todd Sullivan, artist, writer author but you know don't tell him that because he doesn't like it as much as artist writer writer artist. um <laughs> to he you've been on and you are telling me that when it comes to the realm of literal books you believe that it's okay and perhaps we should judge books by their cover i agree man i look at a book cover and i'm like this looks like it's a good book um as a matter of fact i did an early episode where i was reviewing book blurbs and some had covers, and I reviewed them based on their cover, which was totally unfair to these authors. But uh, you know what? I saw the value in judging books just because. Why not? It's uh, covers are important. So I, re- I I know that's not what you were saying. You you have a little more depth than what I was bringing to the table. But um, you hear to hear, folks. I mean. Definitely check out Butchers by Todd Sullivan, and uh, you know I, I, I think you have some really interesting stuff going on. So I am excited to see uh, what comes out after Butchers, after uh, the the rest the rest of your series. Do you have a title for the third book yet?
1: For uh, so the third book, it's probably gonna be Chingo for the uh, horror. For the one. vampire series, of- yeah. Chingo means friend in Korean, and then for the the third book in the uh, Fancy series i'm almost finished that one and right now it's called blood stew
0: oh my gosh <laughs> what is up with you eating and blood man i, I
1: <laughs>
0: that's fascinating um what is blood stew or, or should you not tell us you know what don't even tell me <laughs>
1: Right. yeah you can read the book i mean it's, it's, it's Yeah, you can definitely read the book. You will figure it out once you read the story.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, look, we will definitely put links to all your books in this episode. Uh, Very interesting talking to you, Todd. So happy that you are able to take what's been a lifelong dream and uh, keep living it. So it's been a pleasure chatting with you.
1: And thank you for having me. It's been a very intriguing conversation
0: having me. Oh, awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank you, Todd. Best of luck. And uh, we'll stay in touch. All right. Thanks. hope i didn't make todd too uncomfortable though like talk about uncomfortable my gosh we're talking ripping people's faces off and and torturing them while biting their necks and sucking out their blood i mean am i the one to like talk about were we gonna blame me for all this here Todd set me up, okay? I I needed to figure out, you know, if this guy was writing a sequel to Time Traveler's Wife, like, this would have been a different interview in the first place. And I'm happy he didn't write that sequel, because guess what? No one wants fan fiction offshoots. Uh, That's what happened with Fifty Shades of Grey. And actually, wait, if that came from Twilight, and Fifty Shades is more interesting, kind of intellectually, and maybe we do. Todd, write the Time Traveler's Wife sequel, but include face ripping off. That's what the readers want, and that's what I want, too. And all of you, I want you to have a wonderful week-before-Halloween experience. You're going to hear some very very strange things coming up, including an interview with an alien entity on Halloween itself. Open loops. We're staying open all October. And it's still going to be Halloween once it ends. Take care.